Welcome to another edition of Market Impact Insights, your podcast source for business leadership perspectives to help your business grow. Hear from experts in marketing, sales, business strategy, and more with practical advice for business success. Make sure you won't miss the latest episodes by visiting marketimpactnow.com. Now, here's your host, Dan Albaum. Welcome back, everyone, to 2024 and another great episode of Market Impact Insights. One of the foundational aspects of the business strategy as we get into this new year, you know that uh, in many cases there are fresh uh, new business operational plans, there are budgets, there are marketing intentions, and digital marketing is going to be a big part of that spend, a big part of measuring performance. And we are going to dive into a very comprehensive discussion, all things digital marketing, marketing strategy, and leadership with someone who's really passionate about digital marketing and has helped companies around the world be more successful. Jared LaPiccolo is a leader in creative B2B digital performance marketing. He is the co-founder and CEO of Noble Studios, and he and his wife, Season, have built the company from the ground up. So yes, he is an entrepreneur as well. We'll get into that a little bit. He's worked with some of the world's top brands, think Adobe, Google, Disney, and he brings an energy and a creativity into exploring how new technologies can really have transformational impact in organizations. Jared, welcome to Market Impact Insights. Dan, thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. You, you know, when you said uh, welcome to 2024, it just hit me like, wow, that's, uh, that's, a, that's a whole new year, right? And a, and a brand new start. And this is one of the more exciting times of the year is to start the year out with good intentions and, and such. So yeah, happy to be here and, and excited to, to get on with this, the discussion today. Well, let's dive in. Uh, what a background do you have? And curious, what originally sparked your passion uh, around digital marketing, improving digital marketing performance? What led you on this amazing path? So like, well, like all entrepreneurs, right, their beginning uh, is very different than where, they, where they're at currently in, in, in life. And, you know, it, it happened when I was in architecture school and studying architecture. And, it, and there's this concept that's called, or that, you know, I subscribe to, it's around user-centered and or centric design. And, and effectively, if you think about Disney, right, as a, as, a, as, a, as a brand that you experience and you've ever been on a Disney cruise, you will find that it has all this Disney paraphernalia, right? In the wallpaper, it's in the background, it's in the music, it's in the floor, it's in the silverware. And I loved every single part of those kinds of touch points that you can have with a brand. And when I was in architecture, you know, we followed a similar philosophy around, you know, how can you influence every single touch point? And, and what I found instead of this idea of building the sort of physical world using architecture, um, as that vehicle, you know, there was this gravitation towards the digital world and being digital architects, uh, where we could create all of these sort of touch points that a human, not a user, 20 years ago, we were calling them users, we weren't, but people were calling them users. And this idea that humans, you know, have needs, and they're, they need to fulfill on certain experiences. And so what we found that when we can control creative, digital, and performance, we're operating in that user-centered, user-centric design philosophy approach, and we're creating these meaningful connections between other humans and aligning their desires and needs with brands that are either selling services or products or experiences. And so that that's kind of the, the, the sort of, if you will, the pivot of like taking this 
physical architecture approach and applying it in a digital architecture way. That's really interesting. You know, you think about that parallel between the architecture and what we do in marketing, because there's certainly the creative, the, the visionary aspect of it, right? It's the very yes. visual aspect of that. But then there's this discipline, isn't there? And and there's a plan and there's precision around it. So there, I, I haven't heard that, that problem before, but now that I think about it, it's really relevant. Yeah. Well, and, and what I've loved about it, because when we first started, we were building, you know, digital experiences. So websites or prototypes or software, or, you know, applications and such. And so, and a lot of the, the the sort of foundation that we were taught in school for architecture around you know strategy and goals and objectives and you know plans and blueprints and wireframes and designs and all of that was meant to fulfill our needs and and so yeah that naturally just um, you know applied itself to the to the digital uh, marketing world that we're a lot of us are in today. Yeah, and another of course important part of your story has been this journey of being a co-founder and building Noble Studios up from ground zero, right? The very, yeah. very beginning. So you've, you've had this journey. What's been some of the biggest learning, the takeaways that you've picked up along the way? You know, I, I love talking about this because um, as an entrepreneur, you're, you're constantly in this sort of meta, metamorphosis state, right? You're always... Um, evolving and adjusting and applying and, and pivoting and such. And so one of the things as an entrepreneur, no matter what field you're in, when you start a business, you're typically, you know, in, in most cases, you're typically uh, a tradesperson of some kind, right? You're, you're talented, you seek and you see a demand and you're filling that demand. And I think one of the biggest learning lessons is that you can't stay as that individual contributor or as that tradesperson. Um, you have to evolve into you know, a business person, right? You have to, the things that, you know, were really important to us on the early days for me was all about user experience, right? Making sure that these humans that were interacting digitally were, were having the best user experience you can. And now, now I'm, I'm really, you know, further away from um, our product in the sense that I'm not doing it on the daily, but now I'm in, you know, fo focused on leadership and cultivating our culture, you know, unlocking every, you know, one's sort of best version of themselves and, and when you do that, you can be more impactful as an entrepreneur or a leader. You can be more impactful when you're focusing on the company's goals and vision and direction and, and creating those great experiences. And so I think that's probably one of the biggest learning lessons was, was really about, you know, stepping, you know, from the, the individual contributor role over to being the sort of business architect. Um, and I would say that's probably one of the biggest challenges that any leader and or entrepreneur faces is is you need to shed that skin, like like the the skill sets and, and, and mindsets and tool sets that got you to where you are. You'll have to adjust those and adopt new ones as the journey continues to unfold and you continue to expand and grow and and and, and reach those new heights. Yeah. How hard was that to really let go of having to be <laughs> the hands on everything? Because I've, I've consulted with small, high growth companies, I've seen the struggle of a founder who yeah. has a hard time uh, stepping back, empowering others, right? Because they're so used to having to carry that weight all, all by themselves. How, was that hard for you? Yeah, it was, you know, I'm, I, some people would say, I'm, you know, not, I want to use the word micromanager. I probably was that a little bit in the earlier days because you're so obsessive about, you know, the, the output and you want to fulfill on the, on the promise that you've made to customers and clients. But 
I, I really, there was this one moment where I, where a, a, an advisor, a friend, a mentor of mine said, you know, that while you might do the job better or as good as the other person, um, if, if you, if you give the other person the chance to do that, that work or that task, they're going to likely do it different than you are. Um, they might not go in the straight line. They might zigzag to get to that end result. And, and as long as they get to the end result and they own it, they can own it a hundred percent of the time that frees you up to then take on more and more complex, um, you know, things that others can't take on based on your position in the company or skill set or where your, where your headspace is at. And so, so I, I remember that one moment when they said that I thought, wow, that's, that was like this philosophy of delegation. And, and then of course, you know, you have the delegation charts where it's like, okay, it's a high risk and this person's skill set's really low, then you need to like subscribe and, you know, manage that person through that, that task or something. Or it's like, hey, this person's really high skilled and there's really low risk to this. Now you can fully delegate and, you know, not have to manage. And so, so then you start to move into this moment of like, okay, there's frameworks that support the sort of letting go of, of, of these pieces. And, and so, yeah, so it was difficult, but I think as long as you kind of subscribe to, the idea that, you know, that other people out there, you know, can do a better job than you and that sort of letting go of the, you know, the, the personal ego or the, you know, that personal, you know, um, skill set or mindset that got you to where you were, I think, I think you could be successful in it. But if you always hold on to that, well, I'm going to give it to this person, but really I'm going to manage and monitor them and, 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 you know, not let them do it their own specific way. You'll never get, you'll always hit a capacity uh, of growth. And, and that's not what we ever wanted to do. We always wanted to constantly sort of grow beyond our own personal capacity. And, and for that, you got to kind of bend your knees and lead with humility and, and be vulnerable, you know? Yeah. I mean, I've heard it referred to as the, the hidden opportunity cost, right? The, the associated yeah. with just jumping in and not letting people kind of figure it out on their own. And so the, the, just the scale that comes with um, that empowerment is pretty impressive. And another aspect of leadership that I know uh, you've talked about before is that attitude plays a really key role in being effective. What's that all about? Yeah. Well, so yeah, attitude truly is everything. I mean, you, you know, you always hear those sayings that like, you know, you know, one positive attitude can affect a few people, but one negative attitude can, can affect the whole, the whole dozen, um, you know? And so I think when you think about attitude, it's this idea that, that you're never going to be always in sort of fair weather moments when running a business or, you know, being a leader, um, you know, and, and it's, and it's, it's that moment where, where you realize that, that you've got to lead, with positivity because, because people are attracted to that more than they're not. And it's, and it's truly the difference between the idea of sort of ordering your team into battle versus leading them and, and they follow you into battle. And, and it's very rare that, you know, that, that team members will stay around a long time or leadership will stay around a long time if the attitude is effectively toxic. So over the years we've developed, you know, literally we put it into, and we no longer call it this, but we put it into an MSA once, uh, we call it the no asshole clause. And it was really about, you know, creating a mutual understanding that we're going to treat each other with respect and that we're going to hit these stormy patches of weather uh, in the work we're doing and whatnot. And it's how we approach that, um, which is what defines us in our character as, as humans. Um, so over the years, we've also sort of 
created a principle we call it the yesable and it's this idea that you know anything and everything is possible uh you know and then and then if you if you lead with that then the right leadership and you have the right leadership in place and you have the right team members in place then you can you can get through any sort of obstacle um that that comes your way and and so we really do we try to bring this this concept into every part of our our business uh and so yeah and i think our name also really helps guide us, you know, this idea of noble is, you know, it's just, you know, it's a core value and, and this idea that nobility is not a birthright, right? It has to be earned every day in and out. Uh, and that helped lead us to our mantra, which is let's be better every day. And it's an invitation to be better. It's this concept that we're life learners and that, you know, and that we want to continue to grow and, and be more effective and wake up tomorrow and, and bring our best selves to the, to the table. You can't do that unless you subscribe to having a positive attitude that, um, you know, throughout your journey. Yeah. So you talked about growing and there's this concept of growth mindset. We hear about it all the time in terms of business leadership, uh, importance of maintaining a growth mindset. How do you interpret that? And how do you see that coming into play in terms of the success that you've had? Yeah, I think our industry really, <laughs> um, it was a forcing function, right? Being in the digital marketing space, um, you know, the, the, it's evolved so, so much, right? 20 years ago, when we first started, it was very different landscape than it is today. So we sort of always subscribed to, you know, that we're operating on this 30% learning curve. So I think naturally putting yourself in an environment that you're, you're that's growing, um, you either, you're either going to lean in on it and, and adopt it or you're not. And and we just did that. We adopted it. And so, so I, I, you know, you think about the BHAGs, right? The big, hairy, audacious goals, right? The whole Jim Collins, I, I really, you know, admire that, that human. Um, and, and and I and and for 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 me personally, and I tell this to anyone, a leader or just an individual contributor, anyone, I think you need to have, you know, both a personal what I call locomotive, uh, which is this concept or this theme that tows you and pushes you uh, towards a goal, and you know you need that both personally and professionally. And so, like for instance, this year, you know, I had in my gym wall. It said, you know, what would you attempt to do if you knew you could not fail, right? It's just this concept around growth. It's like, what what else is out there if you removed all the barriers around being able to achieve that? And and so so I actually, on my personal life, I, I focused on um, hiking to Mount Everest Base Camp. And I just actually completed that a few weeks ago. It, Congratulations. Yes, That's huge. Thank you. Thank you. It was um, I didn't realize uh, how important it was for me to actually have that as a personal goal. It, it really defined every decision that I would make and down to like what food I would eat and when I traveled, how, what my travel would be like and when I interacted with clients, what my conversation would be like. And so I think it's important. I, I often say like you want to steal the dinner conversation and, and really – no one really wants to do that. But the intent is to say you want to come to the dinner table with so many exciting and fun things because it's contagious and it's a, and, you know, it's infectious in a, in a good way and others get inspired by it. So I'm obviously attracted towards people that are setting BHAGs, you know, for their, their personal and professional life on a on a yearly basis. And it, and it really does cultivate this idea that anything is possible when you put your mind to it, you just have to break it down piece by piece and you'll get there, right? Solve one problem at a time. Don't take them all on. And, and so then, and then you're exposed to many more opportunities when you have this sort of growth mindset. And, 
And, and, you know, so yeah, am, am I, am I content? Yes. Am I, am I, am I ever really satisfied? Likely not because when you're, when you're in this growth mindset, you're constantly looking at what could you be doing next or how you could be better. And, and I guess at the end of the day, I, my goal is to live, uh, you know, three lives in this one and, and making a positive impact on anybody and everybody that I, that I interact with. You know, there's an aspect of continuous motion, right? And so yes. you, you talk about the, the setting the goal in terms of the hiking to base camp at Everest. And so that it's one foot, uh, left foot forward, right foot forward. And so there's this continuous motion physically, but um, is part of that growth mindset of constantly moving, constantly challenging yourself. I think the other aspect there's going to be some setbacks, right? I mean, it's not like, uh, yes, everything's going to be successful at each step of the way. There could be right. times we don't hit a certain micro goal along the way. And so you kind of, it's like rappelling down and then you've got to climb back up. So I'm sure you've seen that on a project or with your business that there's going to be ups, there's going to be downs, how you take the learning from those down periods and apply it for continuous improvement that's easier said than done, but it's really important, isn't it? It is, Dan. I'm glad you mentioned that because going back to like the fair weather sailor, right? They, the, 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 what makes a good sailor is when, when there's, you know, bad weather. And to your point, you're going to hit some of these micro goals you're, and you're going to miss some of these micro goals. And I think it's important, you know, how you eat that elephant is sort of one bite at a time. And so our company sets yearly goals. We break them down into quarterly goals, down to weekly goals, and then down to daily goals. And, and, and it's how you receive those failures, right? When you didn't do that right, you analyze it. Okay, what did I do wrong? Because that's really where you learn, right? You don't learn typically when everything goes smooth. You learn when you when you put yourself out there, you're vulnerable, you almost got knocked over, or maybe you did get knocked over and you picked yourself back up. And and that's where you start to build this new muscle. And, um, and so I, I encourage you know, to continue to try things and it's okay to fail and, you know, and, and just, but learn from it, right. Understand why you failed. And, you know, of course they always say, right, you do this multiple times. Well, you're not learning then if you're failing at the same thing over and over again, you're not, you're not, you're not adjusting the variables that are, that are in front of you. And, and so, yeah, I totally subscribe to, you will not always be successful. And it's actually those moments is, is, is those are the learning moments, you know? Yeah. Well, in addition to applying a, a mindset around growth and continuous learning, culture development mm. and, and sustaining yeah. a culture. And you talked about that early with your, your experience at Noble Studios, but I've talked to many company founders as part of this podcast. And one of the things they say that's the hardest uh, has been the hardest for them has been developing, sustaining a culture of innovation, a healthy, vibrant culture. What have you found has really helped you make that happen and keep it happening uh, at Noble Studios? Well, so yeah, you know what, and you, you, I know you'll get this, right? Cause you, you interview lots of entrepreneurs and leaders in the industry and stuff and people at the end of the day are the variable, right? They are, if you were to like break it down and use business, you know, vocabulary, they're your number one asset. And, and so, so really about, you know, this idea of sustaining a culture of innovation, it is hard. Um, it, and it goes and it's an organic, it's an organic thing. And so I think part of it is, the environment, right, that you're in. I mentioned that being in the digital marketing space, 
we're constantly uh, feeling like we're operating on a 30% learning curve. So, so naturally you have to innovate, right? You have to look at your processes, your standard operating procedures, your ways of working. You have to receive feedback to make those adjustments. Um, but, and I think part of it too, is to, to bring it into your brand and your company's ethos. So for us, we've always figured, okay, well, we're close to this 30% learning curve. We, you know, we're on a yearly basis, daily basis. Um, Therefore, we are life learners, right? We all and we attract people that are life learners that that are, you know, again, content, but maybe not always satisfied, always looking to improve themselves. And that led us to our strap line or tagline or mantra, whatever you want to call it. That's let's be better every day. Right. It's an invitation for us to be better ourselves, our clients, our team members, you know, our stakeholders, like anyone that interacts you know, with us. And so I think part of that's helping create that culture of you know, of, of sustaining innovation is that just being in a, in a place that requires it, but then outside of it, encouraging innovation, encouraging, you know, trying new things, um, you know, and testing out, you know, uh, and learning from those failures. So every year we do what's called a year in review and we have each department and each you know person kind of contribute to the wins, like what were the successes and what were the lessons learned, right? What did we, what did we do wrong and how are we going to think about doing those things different or better or abandoning those things because they're not working for us. Um, and as, as, as everyone has come out of the pandemic and we're hit with all this innovation, right? AI is the, the sort of biggest movement around innovation. You know, we decided let's lean in really, really deep into that. So we created an innovation council, um, you know, that has people from all different disciplines within our company. And we've created, you know, we've, we've carved out budget in our master budget that gives um, people places to build their time and, and explore something new or test out new technologies, or maybe even do something for a client that a client doesn't have budgets for, but it's, but it practices this idea of innovation. And, and with the rise of AI, we created an AI task force and we've adopted the tools. We've created a point of view. We created a matrix that talks about what different tools and how to use them. We, we've done trainings. We do shares um, every month. And we even created a, instead of a hackathon, right? This is dating me uh, back in the day. We created a promptathon and we invited people in to share, you know, how are they using AI? And, you know, and so I think just getting into the, the proximity of innovation and inviting people in and making it a safe space and celebrating the wins and the failures um, naturally cultivates uh, this culture, you know, uh, of people that work really hard and, and want to prove themselves and, and want to be on the cutting edge, if you will. Yeah, it's really impressive. You were just laying out example after example of meaningful action. It's not just lip service from the right. senior leadership because the employees see through that. I mean, that's the one thing. This, uh, you know, we've talked about how much the technology is changing, but the workforce, right? The current generation, it seems like, Jared, as you're going out and recruiting, retaining there's a higher standard that leadership's being held to and yeah. they want to see that real commitment is being put behind the strategy, right? In terms of, Hey, if we're committed to being always innovative, we're going to provide the learning opportunities for you around AI, any, anything yeah. else. And so we're going to provide that. We're not just going to say it's important. We're going to actually enable you to actually yes. grow. Right. And so, and, and if yes. you don't give that to them, they're going to leave. That's right. Yep. No. And you see it time and time, like people, you know, yes, they quit, you know, managers, as they say, right. But also people quit companies, right. When they no longer believe that the company is serving their personal interest or is progressive or moving forward or, or, or facing the challenges of the world there, people are going to leave. And so, so that's why I think whenever we've been hit with innovation or new technologies or any of these things, we really just lean in on it. You know, I always say like when change 
lands at your store, your doorstep, you know, you're, you're sort of like, dang it, <laughs> it's here. Uh, and you can close, you can shut the door, you can choose to do that, or you can just open it and you can invite it right in. And so part of that is also just having that mindset that like, hey, change is opportunity. And, and you want to make sure that everyone feels safe to, to adopt that. Yeah, well, we're in real dynamic times for sure. And mm-hmm. emerging technology, the AI, how it's changing the way work gets done, uh, what the actual output is. How do you see uh, this emerging technology rapid pace of change? How do you see it impacting the role of marketing? And then from an entrepreneur's perspective, impacts from, from that perspective in terms of you know generating new ideas, starting new companies. Do, do you see a landscape ahead that, that we need to all you know, factor in, in terms of how things are going to change. That's a, you know, a very, um, uh, uh, this, we could do a whole podcast on, on this, you know, specifically. Um, so I was saying when we were in the middle of the pandemic, I thought, okay, this is a moment, right? This is a big disruptor. Um, we're going to start to see a lot of innovation, uh, coming out when the sort of dust settles and that, and that's in the form of typically technology and, and, and to your point, how is it going to impact leaders and, you know, and specifically the marketing industry, and then of course entrepreneurship as a whole. And I think for us, at least, you know, doing this for twenty years, technology has always been that disruptor in our space, right? When we first started it, there was no Facebook, there was no Instagram, TikToks, there was no iPhones or tablets or smart TVs, or I mean, we had MySpace, right? And we had Trio phones just coming off the Palm Pilot days. Um, and and while I do have some gray hair in my beard, I, I look a little younger than than maybe what I'm what I'm speaking about, but. The point is, is that we've always been, technology's always been one of those disruptors. And and right now it's AI, right? It's this idea of machine learning and, and you know, complex, you know, uh, data sets that can do, you know, uh, tasks very quickly. And so we're in this moment of time of, of you know, let's find efficiencies using uh, these tools and the advancements of these tools. But soon we're going to start to find opportunities, right, where it's defining like opening white space for us and it's gaps and it's maybe you're looking at your service lines and and working with AI tools to help define where those are going or what's missing from your service set. And so I think from an entrepreneurial or leadership or opportunist you know standpoint, you're going to start to see a lot more things uh, you know, once we get past this sort of efficiency phase of of technology that's that's getting to us now, we're going to start seeing a lot more opportunities. And then I think we'll start to move back towards real true innovation with companies um, and such. But yeah, in the agency world, I mean, we've just been surrounded always by, you know, disruption and technology. And then, of course, that attracts overachievers and those that are obsessive about solving problems. Uh, so I think the, the good thing is that new technologies is something we all in the agency world get nervously excited about, but continues to give us, you know, purpose, uh, you know? And so, yeah, I think, I think it's exciting. It's, I'm more excited about it than I am nervous, but it's only because we literally are like leaning off of our skis, like towards it, where, you know, if you put your heels in, you know, you're, yeah, you're, it's probably going to impact you negatively because you're just going to say, I want to do things the way we've always done them. And, and I think you just got to really lean in and have that sort of, you know, early adopter mindset and, and then you'll survive and you'll thrive and, and you'll make a better impact on the world. Yeah. The phrase that just jumped into my head and it's been around for a while, Jared is adapt or perish. Yes. 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 <laughs> and that's in our space. I mean, we've seen it for, you know, for, I mean, really hundreds and hundreds of years, right? It's like when, you know, when the iron workers had to convert to steel workers, right? You either adapt or you perish. And, you know, you just see it in so many different 
uh, industries. You've got, you've got to lean into to the you know sort of evolution of of services and, and technologies and ways of doing things. And and if you do, then you, you're going to find yourself in a good space, you know, a safe space. Yeah. Now, a, an eternal question. Yeah. That marketing agencies uh, or consultants they they ask themselves all the time because it's all around relationships, right? Relationships yeah. with their clients and. How do I go beyond just being viewed as a vendor, uh, yeah. but being viewed as a true strategic partner? What are your perspectives on that? Yeah. So, you know, it it sounds really sort of rudimentary, but it starts with this concept that if you see a problem and you don't work to help solve that problem, then you're actually part of the problem. And and so that so, you know, use the simplest example. You're in the office back in, you know. 2010 someone spills water on the floor you see us you see a puddle but you ignore it you're now contributing to that problem and i think about that with clients as well right like and clients see that as well if like you're not able to help solve their problems right if you're not walking in their shoes if you're not anticipating their needs absorbing you know like what their what their goals are for the year and what the objectives are and you're not aligned you know then you're going to be a vendor right you're going to be called upon only when there's a need as opposed to being there as a as a strategic partner helping solve those those problems so i think being obsessive about your clients um, and their problems and and making sure that not only are you going to help make their company successful but you're going to make the individual that you're working with successful uh, that's when you really show up as a as a strategic partner. Uh, I often say, I want to not that I really want to lose sleep at night, but I want to understand what keeps our clients up at night and work to solve that problem with them. And I will say, there's no better example than putting a pandemic in front of you to determine if you're a partner or a vendor. And and so if you right away, if your budgets were cut right right when the pandemic hit you're probably a vendor um but if you were you know if you and if you weren't invited to their sort of weekly board meetings that they had to stand up to look at what the heck's going on in the world and how they're going to adjust it you're probably a vendor you know if you didn't add solutions that actually mattered or moved the needle for your clients you're probably a vendor if you don't have your clients in your cell phone right i've got literally the ceos and you know and and the chief you know because again i'm absorbing their problems as well if they're not in your cell phone you're probably a vendor. So, so you'll know whether, whether you're a partner or a vendor, but it's really about that, that idea of just owning everything that they, they own as well. And, and then working to solve those same problems together as a team. Yeah. You touched on something there really powerful, which was the understanding in a deep and comprehensive way, those Mm -hmm. needs that your, your client has. And it's probably more about listening than pitching, isn't it? But I, that's an easy trap to fall yeah. into, which is I want to pitch, I want to pitch, because that's going to show my value. Instead, it might be more about listening and putting yourself in a position to be that trusted strategic partner. Yes, I agree, Dan. In fact, we subscribe to the win without pitching model, right, by Blair Ends. And it's this concept of asking really good questions and listening to what those answers are. And then, and then, you know, he often says disrupt the pitch, right? Like make it conversational because at the end of the day, it's going to be, that's what it's going to be. The relationship is going to be a lot of conversation going back and forth. It's not going to be necessarily like we put this, you know, bulleted detailed scope of work and we're going to follow it, the letter of the law, you know? And so I, I really believe that, yeah, it is about listening. I've often, often said, 
and while while I'm talking a lot, right? For <laughs> this is the vehicle for today's discussion. Uh, but I, you know, the best way to 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 make a friend is to listen. And so so I love going in and thinking that you know, whether it's solving a client's problem or whether it's just making a deeper, meaningful connection with another human is to listen and ask them questions and be curious. And, and when you do that, you're seen as a trusted person. And at that point, once that trust is established, then you can actually move together sort of locked arms um, and, and, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Now, what's the best piece of business advice you have ever received? So, uh, you know, I feel like that this idea of constantly staying curious is important, especially as a leader or an entrepreneur or even just a, a team member is this concept of being curious. And so, so one of the times I remember this, the, the, we were, I was asking for an opportunity more than anything else. And I came in asking for, it wasn't money, but it meant money in the end. And, and it was just a direct ask, like, will you do X, da, da, da. And what you get in those moments when you ask for money is you oftentimes get advice. Well, no, I'm not going to, but here's what you need to do and da, 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 da. Um, but if you ask for advice, you oftentimes get money. And what that really means, if you ask for advice, you stay curious, you stay vulnerable, you stay, you know, optimistic a lot of times those opportunities will present themselves. And so I think, so that would probably be the best piece of advice is like, ask for money, you'll get advice, ask for advice, you're going to get money. Uh, And then of course, there's probably a few others like don't work with assholes. You know, I subscribe to time is really one of our only currencies. And we've got to wake up every day and decide where we're going to spend it and spend it wisely. And you get one chance to spend that time in that day. So why work with assholes, whether it's clients, team members, partners, stakeholders. So don't do that. Um, follow your passion, but your money will follow as well. Um, and then the idea of like, you know, say no more often. A lot of us, especially when you're a leader or you're an entrepreneur, you want to seek every opportunity at all. Is, it's all weighted in the same, but in reality, it's not. And in those early days, you got to say yes a lot. But as you start to mature your vision, your offerings, your service lines, you know, you know, your impact, then you need to start saying sort of more uh, no, saying no more, more often. Yeah, that's hard. Uh, prioritization. Yeah. Because so much of our sense of value worth, I've been in many marketing organizations where it was so activity driven, uh, you know, <laughs> and, and the sense of accomplishment had to do with, well, we checked all these boxes, but what if we did 30% fewer things that had 10 or 15 or 20% greater impact? And, but I've always found that to be really hard to make those tough trade-off decisions. And, and that's why you want to move your, because again, me as an entrepreneur, overachiever, obsessor, you know, uh, everything has the same equal importance, but in reality it doesn't. And so, you know, whether it's even like crafting a marketing plan or a budget, like finding some objective way of scoring, right? So if it's like, okay, we have all these marketing initiatives that we need to do. Why, start by scoring which ones generate MQLs, you know, to SQLs the best, right? So then those start to percolate to the top is, and that provides the level of importance. So find find a framework. Maybe your framework is retention of existing clients, and you're doing advocacy, and you know, um, maybe then you look at the activities and see which ones in, have the highest engagement for those clients that will then you know uh, contribute to the retention rate. Uh, so then you're going to prioritize those. Um, you know, so I think no matter what problem you're solving, I think being able to have an objective framework where you can score things 
uh, will then allow the sort of cream to rise to the top and, and allow you to have that focus. And that just ladders back to saying no. Often you might say, hey, this year we can't do the bottom 30% because our framework shows that they contribute, but not as much as these other 70% contribute. So we're just going to focus on that top part. And that gives you like an objective way of, of, of doing it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now, when you look forward, I know you're doing that all the yeah. time, Jared, but when you think about the future, what makes you optimistic? <laughs> well, so, so whether people appreciate it or not, I am this like this crazy optimistic person. I think part of it is I'm just just so damn happy to be alive in this moment of time. And I think about that. It's like, yes, someone can argue every point that I'm going to ma- mention right now, but but I believe in it. So therefore, I feel like it's factual. Uh, but the idea that humanity is advancing, right? We have more humans on this planet than we've ever had. More people are actually employed on this planet than we've ever had. More people are concerned, believe it or not, about climate change today than there was 200 years ago. We have more people that are educated than they ever were. We have more people having access to healthcare than they ever were. More people are living longer as a whole. Um, you know, more people are experiencing other cultures. And what we find is that we all love the same things is we want to be around friends and family and eat good food and listen and dance and love and you know, and just and more people are even finding work life balance, even with the recent pandemic and kind of emerging out of that more people are finding, uh, you know, that that work life balance is more important and that you're instead of you're not working to live, you're living to work. So I'm a very half the, the glass is like nearly full, but yes, half full. So you're always I'm always going to just take the positive angle over the negatives. And, and I'll always argue that that we're better. Uh, we're better. Yes, there's always problems. And we're going to continue to have those. But in general, you know, everything around us, like we is better than what it was 100 years ago or 200, 300 years ago. And so I just take that that approach. And I think, well, yeah, I'm optimistic. You know, I believe that AI is going to help us solve some really amazing hard health problems that because of the data sets that it can have and doing, you know, you know, sort of early detection of cancers or, or, um, you know, markers in your, 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 you know, your genome. And so I just feel like we just, there's so much we have ahead of us and, and we're learning and, but yeah, I'm I'm just a very, you know, glasses nearly full, you know, in every situation kind of person. So you're never going to, I'm always going to be optimistic about the future. Yeah, it's so, so critical and so much to be optimistic about. So as we wind up our conversation, Jerry, do you have any other final advice for leaders that are looking to continue to deliver that growth that all these companies are craving? Yeah, I think, you know, strategy is important. Uh, really aligning your objectives to the vision of the company. So if the vision of the company is not perfect, you've got to work there first. It's the tip of the spear. And so really, you know, you, you can't be everything to everyone, um, you, you know, so really be focused, you know, look at your vision of the company, ask yourself on a quarterly basis, you know, review that revision with your, ask yourself and your leadership team, is this the same vision? Are we on the right path? Um, once you have that and you're in aligned that this is the vision of where we want to go as a company, then all the other stuff comes around, right? That's when you build frameworks. That's when you adopt tool sets. That's when you invest in skill sets and changing the, the right mindsets, um, you know, and leading with that sort of transparency. And, and so I would say start at the vision of your company. Make sure, you know, it, you, that you're that it, you're all in alignment and it's and it's where you want to be going. Uh, and then the rest, I think at the very end, just cap it off with leading with humility. I think you're going to, you'll get more with honey than you will with vinegar. 
And so the idea of lead with humility and empathy, um, and when you have a good, you know, vision, and you know, and it's shared and 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 sort of you know owned by all, you're going to be successful. I love that, Jared. You closed with a little sprinkling in of servant leadership. Philosophy. Yes, yes, yes. Great way to close. Thanks again for joining, sharing your successful journey uh, and your optimism about how we can harness technology and the power of the human factor in making our organizations more successful. Thanks again for joining. Dan, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. And a reminder to continue to give us the gift of feedback and continuing to make this podcast better. Go out, rate, and review. It's so easy to do on all the major podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And as always, make sure to visit marketimpactnow.com for the latest in business leadership perspectives. So long until next time.